Well, hey there, everybody. It's the Everybody Counts Podcast. I'm Tracy. I'm Jay. I'm Pete. What up? Sometimes called Officer Pete. Right. So we're all here. We're all here and so excited that the season has dropped. Season six even dropped a little early. Mm -hmm. So people could get a jump on it. That's awesome. And we're really excited about breaking down the episode and kind of posing some questions to each other, looking at what evidence we have so far. And we also have an interview for our debrief section towards the end of the podcast with Troy Evans, who plays fan favorite Beryl Johnson, Detective Beryl Johnson. Yeah. What? What? Mm. A lot of good stuff right out of the gate. So um, thank you for listening. We're going to get into sort of a recap case review section first, but I did want to point out that there's a, um, a fun group on Facebook called Bosch Pit for fans of the show. And so there's folks exchanging thoughts and being excited about the show together there. And, and they have recently, they're saying, hey, if you really like the episode, don't forget, you can go out on Amazon and put a review and encourage other people to watch too because we're all loving it so five stars easy five stars yeah i mean yeah Mm -hmm. duh the most you can get more than you can get but um of course you know you know that's how we feel we're doing this podcast we love the show so with that let's get into it the title of episode one is the overlook and for book fans they'll recognize that as the name of one of the books that this series draws upon. It is written by Eric Overmeyer and Tom Bernardo, and the director was Daisy Von Schuyler Mayer. And I do hope I said that correctly. Um, She has directed before on Bosch. Um, So it's great to have her again. So we kind of start out, I mean, it's pretty obvious what our case is gonna be, right? Our big case. Yeah, we see that right away. Who wants to talk about that? Go ahead, Pete. Right, well, Tell us about Stanley Kent, Pete. Well, we see this doctor who we don't know is Stanley Kent yet, and it seems like he's <laughs> he's going through in a in a lab in a lab, and he's working with hazard, hazardous material, and he puts it in this jar and puts it in this giant container with this big sticker that looks like it's not going to be safe or good. This big yellow sticker, and he right to the hospital looking as nervous as possible. Mm-hmm. and gets out somehow. Yep. So, and he's sweating. You say looking nervous, the guy is sweating. You can yeah, see it. I, I thought for yeah. sure he was going to get stopped. He was going to be on the run, but he wasn't. And then we see him take that. He drives it in a car, right? He drove it up yeah. to that um that dark. Porsche. <laughs> yeah, the, the nice fancy car in this dark path. <laughs> and then he meets this um mess stranger. <laughs> yeah. Who says, where's the stuff? He says, hey, I hit it. The guy says, no good, get on the ground. You know, when someone says, hey, I hit it, you say, well, where is it? He just said, get on the ground. And then he's like, okay, now where is it? He's like, I need to see my wife. And then the best damn intro song I've ever heard comes on. (laughs) That's right, right. Game over, cue the intro song. Now, it's interesting because we didn't know what actually happened there until the intro music ended, and then they they kind of broke down what was happening because they got the call. Right. Yeah, then we got more more detail about what actually transpired. So yeah, that was um, Bosch gets called to the case. It's been assigned um, to Bosch and J. Edgar. We learned that Pierce and Vega were up next in the rotation, um, but they can't take the case. They can't be the leads because they're going back and forth potentially to court for that body parts case from last season. So it sounds like that has progressed, you know, all the way to the court system. And they're going, they're going to have to go back and forth for that. So it's technically assigned to Bosch and Jay Edgar. And just at the beginning, we do see Bosch. Uh, he's called out by Sergeant Mankiewicz. But he's there looking at field interview cards, I think is what you call them, um, related to the Daisy Clayton case. And Mank kind of not gives him a hard time. But it's like, hey, you're really digging into the deep past. So we, we know right off the bat that we have this Stanley Kent case, and we know that there's gonna be some work on the Daisy Clayton murder as well. We get hints of that. So Bosch is ready to go out to the scene. Jay Edgar is is not quite ready to go out to the scene. Tell us why, Jay. Because he's still on Marcos and Arios, which he should be, because yes. those are some bad dudes, and he's- Bad dudes. He's deep in investigating them now. 
I love this. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. He's with an IA guy. We've seen him before in the series. Uh, Lochner uh, works with IA and they're, you know, in a van doing some surveillance, watching these dudes. And they're hoping that they will catch them not booking guns and cash that they see them right. uh, take from someone. So, but we'll talk more about that later, but they're hoping to catch them in the act basically. And, um, but he gets a chance to get out of the way. I know when we were watching together, when Jerry goes out of the van to head over to the other case, you know, he says, is it okay to go? Is it okay to jump out now? And the guy's, yeah. And my husband said, I would move a little faster. <laughs> you know? Right. I know. Like, wow. He kind of trotted right. away. Right. He was just I'm like, like all right, I'm out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get out of there. We don't want the, anybody to see you. Right. Which it kind of looks like they, these guys, Marcus and Arius had an idea that someone was watching them. Anyway, they look like, they think something's up, but um, yeah, Jerry leaves. So, but Bosch does get to the scene first with Pierce and Vega. It's a memorable spot for big fans of the show. We know that that's where we first saw Bosch and Pierce together. There was another murder at the Overlook. It was an, um, an actress named Linda Foster, and it turned out to be a suicide. And and Bosch felt that in his gut, and he moved the body and found the gun um, and, and deemed it a suicide. And, you know, Pierce was there. We know Pierce is a rule follower, which we love. And you could tell in season one when that happened, he was really nervous. He's like, what is this Bosch guy doing? And uh, little did we know that down the road, he would still be interacting so much with Bosch, but um, then as a detective. So that's just a, um, a callback, you know, to season one. But they move on into this case. They get some details. He's talking about potentially the time of death, maybe around midnight. Bosch is checking out his CCs that Stanley has a swipe card. And so he sends Pierce and Vega onto the hospital to identify. This guy has a, you know, apparently works there, has an office. He's got a swipe card. Lock it down. Check out everything that's going on. He will go and do the, what they call a welfare check with the wife. You know, this guy's got a wife. Let's check out what's going on. And Jay Edgar's not there yet. We will we will see him meeting up with them soon. So, Pete, why don't you pick up when uh, Bosch shows up at the Kent house, the very nice Kent house with the pool. Well, he finds he finds the wife. Yeah. Um, tied up. Mm -hmm. Where she was being held hostage. Yeah. And you know it's Bosch, so it's not just clear cut. All right, this is what happened. Bosch needs to make sure that he has the right facts to make sure he knows what happened. So Bosch starts to ask Bosch-like questions okay. where you kind of you don't know. If he, like, you get the – see, this is why people are weary of Bosch because when he starts talking to certain people, when he feels a hunch in his head or it just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem right to him, he's not compassionate or empathetic. He's not talking to this lidy like, oh, my God, you were just held hostage and kidnapped. He's asking her very direct questions as if – I'm actually, I'm doing an interview as a cop to um, any to any person that I'm talking to in general. I feel mm -hmm. like Jay Edgar has a little more of a softer approach and kind of you know adds that element for Bosch during these conversations. But you know he's he asks the right questions instantly and it's Bosch. So is he yeah. ever really wrong? <laughs> We're fans, so hey. <laughs> so yeah, eventually Jay Edgar does show up at the house and they they do the interview with her together. Jay, tell us a little bit about what they find out from, it's Alicia Kent is her name, the wife of Stanley. What did they, what did she tell them? She tells them about the assailants that came in, took her down. Uh, did they ask for her phone or steal her phone? Yeah, they, they phone? asked for her phone and her passcode. And she, she, she had trouble remembering the passcode, uh, but she eventually did. They had a knife to her throat and, and were demanding. her. Yeah, when she didn't remember the code. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and her, so, yeah, her phone and her car keys, Jay. Oh, yeah. yep, and the car keys, you're right, you're right. Mm -hmm. Better detective than I am, I forgot that detail. <laughs> so, so much evidence to deal with. Right. But she what lays else? it out for him. Yeah, what, what, what'd him. she say? I don't remember word for word. You want to help me yeah, with that word? for word. <laughs> <laughs> she tells, what, okay, she, she tells what did she the remember? Tattoo, the tattoo. Yeah, the tattoo, yeah. We Which always is, Super important to the whole case. All right. So yeah, 308, they did it as, um, you know, she said she thought it was a white guy because she saw a wrist and saw a tattoo of 308. And, you know, other than that, she doesn't, she doesn't say a whole lot. She does 
get upset when she sees a picture of Stan's hands. They're looking at those rings, and um, she said they detect radiation. I don't know exactly how they work, but she lets them know about that. But they also want to know what are why would he be wearing these? And, and you know, she explains, of course, that he deals with these, you know radioactive materials they're like is it really valuable and she said no it's really dangerous so they do get that information from her that it's something dangerous that has been stolen and then they, they pretty much move on outside they've got what they can so far from her and sure enough the feds pull up mm. and uh, actually harry gives pearson vega a heads up at the hospital that the feds are there and sure enough, they showed up right then for them too. They're very coordinated and timely. <laughs> so right. they're there to participate. We learned that, I think we learned that Stanley was on some kind of watch list eventually because of those materials. We find out that that thing he was carrying um, is called a pig at some point uh, that it's a lead container to, to carry that in. I think we learned that from the guy maybe at the hospital initially but we find out uh well let's talk about who the agents are we have jack brenner who's the special agent in charge three people walk up to jerry and harry so jack brenner uh special agent in charge and then he has two agents with him agents maxwell and agent reese uh agent reese is a female agent maxwell a male so they um just you know exchange a few words and they're going to go around and take a look and they talk about collaborating and sharing information, keeping each other informed. Yeah, right. Well, and, and you know, Harry agrees to that, and they agree to that. He tells them some information, but he does not tell them about the tattoo. He strategically leaves that out. So, yeah, he's going to hold something still close to the vest um, in this situation. Uh, we also see that Sylvia, Sylvia Reese, Agent Sylvia Reese, she does bring up um, what she calls a checkered past that Harry has with the uh, FBI. And we know he got involved with Eleanor's investigation of her death and um, came down hard on uh, the agent in that case. And there was, I think, a punch and, and so forth. But, you know, she said they cut him some slack, you know, given the situation. But, you know, does Bosch really appreciate that? It doesn't really matter to him. He's like, I, I would do it right. again in a heartbeat. So, right. you know, thanks, but, you know. That's, that's what I was going to do anyway. So, and so they go into the house, and then J. Edgar and Harry leave. And we see some different folks talking about these 308s. Uh, the chief talks to Captain, I think it's Captain McCurdy in Major Crimes, finding out maybe what she knows about it. And then Captain McCurdy talks to Bosch and J. Edgar about it, uh, what, you know, kind of who these 308s are. And they're supposedly a group of sovereign citizens. So kind of anti-government people who don't accept the U.S. government laws. They only accept the laws that they agree to with each other. And Harry later says, like, English common law, I think. So that's who they're kind of looking for. But, like, where are they? Is this one group? How do we find them? And she mentions right. barbecues. They kind of recruit pancake breakfast, different places, gives them an idea of kind of places that they might find them, you know, recruiting. And someone goes undercover. To one of these events to get some more info who wants to talk about that the most unlikely choice like if i feel like if we were all asked in the beginning of the episode who do you want to send under, undercover this episode this would not be the top choice <laughs> or the expected choice but it's our guy barrel and he yeah. is phenomenal undercover i believed it great scene I believe it. <laughs> great scene mm -hmm. yeah yeah so he does he meets up with this guy he, uh, this guy approaches him with some 308 literature. He kind of vets him a little bit, you know, like you for real. He even thinks, are you a cop? And he's like, yeah, I'm a cop, but I'm still into this movement, you know. And the guy's like, yeah, we have other cops, you know, and they exchange some um, information. And this guy hands him a pamphlet about the 308s and tells him about this bar in Canoga Park, uh, kind of, I guess, hinting that that may be some type of meetup place or something, I think. And then, Barrel takes the information. He's finished his barbecue. He heads out, walking down the sidewalk, and there's Bosch waiting to find out what he found out. He gives him the literature, and then he just walks on his way. And he's just so smooth, Barrel is. You know, mm -hmm. he's like, I got this. I got your information. Here you go. I'm out of here. That's, that's experience, wisdom. 
because thank you yes he wasn't nervous he wasn't flinching no. he's been doing this for so long and he's right. you know, and he's he's an he's an older guy so he's just like whatever i don't need no government id and he sold it he sold it yeah great he did job. he sold it and you know it's great because we think of like i mean bosch is the lead of course and bosch works, works with edgar and they're you know in these action scenes and you expect so much from them and sometimes i don't think we expect a much as much from like a barrel or a crate but and remember last yes. season when they had his retirement not so retirement party mm -hmm. um he's had some major cases and he's taken out yeah. his career yeah. so it's not like he wasn't capable they just right. didn't get the opportunity but i feel like he he got an opportunity here and every time he does he delivers including with the um ktk yeah yeah and we just haven't had a chance to really dig into his stories and the things that he's done and we know you know logically yeah he's got to have an impressive background to be where he is but it's great to see him in action in some of those situations where we don't normally think of him you know we think maybe think of him more behind the desk or something but yeah he, he was right at it so good for him now let's um shift gears a little bit go back to marcos and arius um J. Edgar meets up with Lochner, the IA guy at a bar, maybe Bordner's, I'm not sure. Um, and he tells him they did book the guns and the cash that, you know, they were watching them pull these two guys off the street and they confiscated cash and guns from them. And they did book them into police custody. So they Dang. didn't catch them. Yeah. Dang. They didn't catch them doing anything wrong. So no progress there, but you know, Jerry's like, you know, we're still at it. You know, we're going to get them, you know. And, of course, Jerry has several motives in this case for those who, who may not remember specifically. But his, his friend and CI from last season, Gary Wise, yep. met up with them about another case to, you know, possibly give them some help with it. And then he ends up dead. And the more that Jerry looks into it, he thinks that, comes to believe that Marcos and Arias are dirty and had something to do with Gary's death. He begins associating him with this guy, Jacques Avril, and actually confronts Jacques Avril at the end of last season and outright asks him if he murdered his uncle. And Jacques Avril was from Haiti, working for the secret police. Um, and he says, no, it was my father. So, so these are the things that, that Jerry's really invested in. Of course, he wants to take a, you know, bad guys, bad cops off the board, but he has personal investment because of his friend and his history with losing his uncle in Haiti. So just to kind of get you up to speed there. So we get a flash of these guys meeting with two Jamaicans in a, you know, coffee shop, sandwich shop or something. And they're basically telling them kind of need to cool off from this relationship for a while they don't outright say it, but we, you know, we presume that they tell them, you know, we kind of feel like maybe somebody's watching us or, you know, something like that. And they're like, Oh, well, what about the exposure? You know? And they're like, Oh no, it's zero exposure, which I'm like, I wouldn't have believed them either. How can you have a concern and not think right. that there's any exposure, right. you know? So we'll eventually learn that those guys are named Winston and Marvel and Marvel is played by, I believe it's Terrence Terrell. And tell me you have seen the commercials about Motor. He's half motorcycle, half man. Have you, you seen those commercials? Right? You know who he looks like, right? Looks I think like I know LeBron who you're going to say. Yes, that's what my husband said. Is that LeBron James? It looks no, like honey, LeBron that's James. the Motor. I mean, he's been in tons of things. So, but I, I, I kind of get a chuckle out of those commercials. Those are good commercials. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's the Motor. So anyway, just wanted to put some names uh, to those faces because we're going to see them again. In fact, we see them again at the end of the episode. We might as well just right. get this out. Let's I mean, yep. yeah, let's let it let it rip. Yep. So Jay, tell us. Well, we see the jerks, uh, Marcos and Arias. They're uh, um, outside of a is it a convenience store, liquor? Yeah, store? yeah, store? yeah a little convenience market. Little market, market. Yeah. And uh, uh, one of them comes out. I can't remember which. Now you can you can. Uh, uh, Marcos. That was Marcos, Marcos that came back to the car. Uh, uh, mentions how uh, the count is off, which I'm curious as to what's going on for sure in there. Mm -hmm. uh, but to get in the car and, and uh, guess who arrives at the car at the same time. Yeah. And, and they he, don't seem nervous about it's it's Marvel and Winston, one yeah. on each side of the car. And they don't seem really nervous about them coming up. They're like, oh, oh, it's so-and-so, you know. Yeah. 
and then boom, they shoot them point blank. Just like that. Just like that. Marcos and Arias are off mm-hmm. the board completely. You know, you know, I hate I hate to bring this up, but it's true. These guys were nervous that they were being watched by somebody and didn't take the, the cash and the guns, but then weren't nervous when these guys showed up at their drop <laughs> or their know. pickup. You know, like come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, exactly. You know Great what that question. tells me? I'll tell you what that tells me. That tells me okay. that they were in bed with these guys more than we even knew. Okay, okay. They were so comfortable. Okay. They The last thing they thought was, oh, we could tell these guys this, and they'll trust us, and it's going to be over. And That's a good it was point. over, yeah. but not in the way they thought. <laughs> That's a good point. Now, now, tell me this, guys. You know, everybody, I think, was shocked when they saw this. How shocked were you? I knew that this was going to bring a whole new element to our case. Because I thought for sure that it was going to be a case against these guys and Jacques Avril. I didn't know it was going to yeah. be like this kind of circulation now because this thing just got blown wide open. Right. Yeah, I, I was I was shocked just because I wasn't expecting it. And also, like you, I didn't expect something like this to happen so early. I thought that Jerry would end up taking these guys down because Jerry gets the job done. But I didn't think it would happen this way, you know, with, with inside that organization and so quickly yeah, in the episode. Take long. That did not yeah. take long. Yeah. So I mean, if someone was knocked not shocked by that, I would I would like to know. I'd be curious about that. You know, what tipped them off. Anyways, so that's that was a, a big event in episode one. And uh we had a couple other couple other surprises going on there. Let's talk about Chief Urban Irving. He's still running for mayor. What a good mayor he's gonna be. But look but look at this. Now he's in that in that, I guess, full-blown campaign, you've got to get stuff going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, he, and he's introduced to someone maybe less than savory, but is good at his job at fundraising for campaigns and getting people elected. And we see Irving actually kind of struggle with maybe some of his morals or internal ethics about using someone like this. Yeah. He's, he's not gung-ho about it. He, he definitely has reservations. Yeah. But Jankowski, you know, working on his campaign, she just, you've got to get this guy. His name's Ray Thacker. You've got to get him on your campaign before someone else gets him, you know. And finally, he does agree. But he's like, we're going to pay this guy well. We're not going to have any possibility of him holding anything over, you know, my head or anything. He's going to be paid fairly, paid well. And, um, but he does agree to do it. So, but with this whole, you know, threat going on, there's this cesium, you know, it's still at large. And so it's out there and we've heard all these things throughout the episode about horrible things that could happen with it, you know, making dirty bombs, contaminating the water, just, just really scary stuff. So, Irving is sitting down with June, who he has been with for some time now. She's been a big encourager to him and supportive of him. She is the one who encouraged him to run for mayor. And they're just having their conversation about what's going on, the, the threat that's involved. And June drops some a big surprise, too. Yes. June is pregnant. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Irving, Irving did not know. You know, they weren't, this wasn't something they were planning, but he's not upset about it. He does comment on his age that he could be, the, you know, this child's grandfather, you know, at his age. And, you know, she says it won't matter. He won't care. Letting him know that it is a boy. She already knows that she's carrying a boy. So, of course, that tugs on our hearts because he lost his son, George, yeah. um, a few seasons ago. And you can't help but go there. And so they talk about it for a minute, and then he realizes, hey, there's this big, you know, potential bioterrorism threat out there. You need to get out of town, you know. And uh, she agrees she's going to go stay with her aunt for a while. But, yeah, that was, I mean, I, that was a, a big surprise, too. I did, I did not see that one coming as well. So, Jay, would you like to talk about what Maddie's up to? <laughs> I feel like you're setting me up. This is a setup. <laughs> Let me tell you what Maddie's not up to. Maddie is not up to Tom because there is a new <clears throat> boyfriend in the picture. Yep. That's mm-hmm. that's what's going on here. She is working for uh, good old Honey Chandler. Has a new boyfriend. She's everything's new for for uh, for Maddie so far this season. Yeah, yeah. She is. She's working with Honey Chandler and doing some case reviewing some cases. You know, probably kind of like the grunt work, but it's yep. important work. Got to start well, somewhere. 
yeah, it, someone has to do it. And it's a, a wrongful conviction case, I guess. This guy was should not have been incarcerated, and now he wants money. He wants to be paid back. So that's the type of case she's working on. But yeah, we meet this guy, Antonio, when she goes to, you know, wants to meet up for dinner. He says, I can't, you know, there's something going on with the hospital, they've got everybody on call, you know, so we're like, oh man, he says his friend at Cedar sinai the same thing's happening there. So we, you know, we see evidence, we see the helicopters, we see that this the threat, up, yeah, yeah it, you know, it's pervasive, everyone's kind of reacting to some degree about it. Um, and she talks to her dad later about it, but you know, he can't tell her much information at first. But when she does get home and chats with Harry a little bit, we get to spy another fan favorite cast member, Pete. I know he's one of your faves. Coltrane? Coltrane! We get a Coltrane sighting. I know these answers. I just, I'm like, <laughs> is, is, is Coltrane? I don't want to get it wrong. But yes, I was, no, listen, nobody's yeah. more happy to see Coltrane than me. Welcome yeah, I think, I think we all were. So, yeah. So we get to see Coltrane. Maddie's going to look after him, I think, uh, for the night. Because uh, Harry is packing a bag and he's got to go do some work overnight because this case is, you know, requires that. They've, they've got to figure out, not only is he working on this homicide, but he knows there's this huge threat with the material as well being outstanding. So some of the other, we did learn a little bit of other evidence that, you know, maybe these 308s were involved. You know, we've got a little more information on them, what they do, kind of how they operate. But when Harry and Jerry are back doing some more canvassing in the neighborhood. In another part of the episode, they talked to this neighbor who saw a car parked late at night, um, I guess either near or at the Kent house that had kind of a fake paper license plate. And that's, you know, they kind of describe that as one of the hallmarks of these folks. They don't agree in driver's licenses and getting a license, getting tags for your car and all that. So that was just another thing on their radar, you know, that, oh, hmm, maybe it's the 308s. So that, that was interesting. There's several different things kind of falling together there. Um, we also see a group that we're not, we have not met before. Um, there's a woman and a, her husband and two other guys in a room putting pins on a map. That's about all we get this episode. Yeah. And I'm sure those of you who've watched ahead, you know, know who we're talking about, but we don't get a lot of information on them in this episode, but clearly, you know, we saw this, I think we saw this place in the trailer, um, the house that they were at, maybe. So we know they're they're going to be involved. But that's about all we see from them um, is marking some places on a map. Now Pierce and Vega, there's another looks like another maybe storyline developing. Um, Vega is frustrated with billets. Who wants to talk about that? They, they um, Pierce is in the break room with Vega, and they're talking about. Well, they're calling back to how he met Bosch at that, or, you know, on the out overlook with that suicide case and how he moved the body and so forth. And Billets comes in. Jay, you want to pick up with that? Yeah, there's some tension here because, yeah. you know, and I never, all the seasons prior to this, I'm like, who who doesn't love Billets? But apparently there's some ten tension here because, mm -hmm. you know, Billets is who she is. She cares about her people, talks to her people, is there for her people or whatever. And I think she comes in and she she helps uh, Pierce like with his tie or something, whatever. His uh, collar, yeah. That's what yeah. it was. <laughs> um, and then is, I don't know, maybe it came off extra complimentary to, to uh, Vega, but there's this almost animosity that, about maybe Vega being the favorite, according to Pierce, and mm -hmm. touchy feeliness of it, and I—I I don't know. This is all new for me because yeah. I thought everyone loved billets. There was—I know. Well, we certainly do. Yeah. But yeah, she fixes his collar and she touches uh, Vega on the shoulder. You know, telling them they're ready. They look good. You know, for court and encouraging them. And it, you know, for us, yeah, we love billets. We don't think anything of it. But then she starts. You know, she gets mad. Yeah, when Pierce calls her her favorite, Billets' favorite, and talks about being touchy-feely and all that, and they're, you know, chatting about it, and Captain Cooper comes in, and he wants to know, oh, who, who, who is? Who, who, who is that? And she's like, my cousin, and just switches the story right away, right. you know, and we've mm -hmm. never had a great feeling about Captain Cooper. You know, we never really know what his agenda is, but it usually seems something more selfish. I don't know, but um, it's time for him to retire. I'm just <laughs> Yeah. 
I would say so. Yeah, we're not getting a good vibe. But right. he's like, you know, being nosy. And, um, you know, she just, she's smart. She's just like, oh, not going to get into that, you know, with him at all. I mean, she's just having a private conversation with Pierce. So, yeah, that's, that's something else, you know, that happens this episode. So and anything this is, else? This is only one episode, too. I just want to remind uh, Yeah, exactly. This is only the first episode. A lot has happened. A lot of surprising things, a lot of content, a lot of players, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot. So anything glaring that, that we missed in our case review? I don't think so. You guys good? All right. So. Well, why don't we jump into our interrogation room? where we ask one another a question and kind of uh, poll each other about some topics. I want to know, is J. Edgar on a date with Joan Bennett? I recognize her as an RHD detective, and they get the call to the scene about Marcus and Aries, and they're together. There's a meal involved. It's a nice restaurant. Is this a date, guys? Uh, I'm going to say no because, well, you know why, because I'm, I'm on your team where – I still want her or him to get back with the ex. Okay. So I'm say no. Yeah. What about Even you? Even if Pete? it is, I'm saying no. Okay. Looks, is this a date, Pete? Looks like a date to me. I mean, it does have have some elements of a you know would be a date, but yeah, I was like, whoa, because I you know we've been going down this path. Even last season, even though she was you know dating this other guy, who remembers his name? Come on, Pete. Bill. Benny. I was close. It was close. <laughs> and um, but we're like, oh, that's not serious. They're going to get back together, you know. And I'm sure not everyone agrees with me. Some people might think that's done and they're in a good place, and that that's fine. But yeah, I'm I'm still pulling for them. So that 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 was my question. I was curious what you all thought about that. Who's going to go next? Well, what was your answer? Date or no date? I was worried. I guess my answer is I was worried that it was a date. I didn't really know, okay. but I was concerned that it would be a date because I have other ideas about right. his relationship. I'll ask the next question because it's, right. be, it's, it's really okay. an abandoned one. All right? All right. Here's the question. So we see already that Bosch is making comments under his breath towards the FBI agent about yeah. how they're not accountable and they're not credible. So right. it looks like I don't know how long this case is going to go on for in this season. But Bosch is going to be working with the FBI pretty much, looks like, hand-in-hand hand the whole mm -hmm. season. And we all know that Bosch doesn't like to hold his tongue. But Bosch is a good worker. Is it possible? True. I think the answer is yes. That Bosch and the FBI, this is the season where they get along. Like last season, we saw him and Honey Chandler kind of get along a little bit better. And it kind of looked like it was a, a working relationship. And that was going to be going forward. Watch. You know, we have to watch the rest of the season. But is he going to, at the end of the season, are you going to say Bosch played nice with the FBI and they could possibly work together in the future without no problems? I will say, and I know it's not a, a you want a yes or a no, but I, I mean, ultimately I'd say the jury's still out. But I would lean towards no because he just seems so frustrated from the get-go. He seems to have a certain outlook about them. And one thing I did forget when we were talking in our case review, they took Alicia Kent to a safe house and did not tell them, did not uh -oh. tell yeah. um, Jerry and Harry. They were going back. They wanted to go back to her house and question her some more. Um, so he's not getting good vibes from them at this point. So if I had to pick, I would lean towards no at this point in the game. All right, Jay. I, uh, I'm going to go with the, maybe a more hopeful answer in that uh, I hope that they don't get along because I like when Harry is cranky. I just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like when he's cranky and, and, you know, nobody likes the FBI bunch of jerks always trying mm -hmm. to take over everything. So, you know, I mean, I'm all for collaboration and let's get things done and let's solve the case. But I'm, I'm, you know, it's early, obviously. But if he wanted to punch the guy, one of the guys or something, like, I'm good with that. I, you know, <laughs> I just, I love Bosch being cranky. It's like, okay. I, don't, I don't know, maybe that's wrong, but I like it. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you have a question for us, Jay? <sighs> I, uh, I was actually going to ask uh, a similar question to Pete. I guess we were kind of on the same wavelength there. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with my backup question. And I, um, I fear with the uh, 
untimely death of Marcos and Arius. That this is gonna, I don't know if throw him for a loop is the right way to put it, but I wonder what this is gonna do with J. Edgar and what he was hoping to accomplish. And kind of as a side note from this, how might this escalate things with our boy Jacques Avril? Do you, mm-hmm. see any, do you see this escalating? Do you see it kind of going by the wayside because these two are dead now? How do you, how do you feel about that? Well, I'll go ahead. I can't help but see it as some sort of roadblock because it's a disconnect. You know, they it seemed like they were connected right. to this Jacques Avril, and ultimately he wanted to get all the way right. you know, to the top of the food chain, and now he can't. He hasn't. He wasn't able to catch them in the act of doing something, and they're you know for them to be alive and to try to get information out of them you know, some using some leverage there. So it, to me, it's just a, a big piece of the puzzle that has been completely extracted. So I, I just see it as, as kind of a roadblock. Yeah. That's fair. And on a side note, Pete, before you answer too, just so you guys know, if I ever, uh, if I ever need to like leave the country and change my identification or something, I may yeah. change, I may change my name to Jacques Avril because it is kind of, <laughs> it is kind of a cool name. That, you know, if I was going to run away, like, that might be my new passport name. Just okay. Okay. Right. Well, right. then we, then at least Pete and I will know how to hunt you down right. anybody right. listening to this podcast. <laughs> Way to put it on record, Jay. Way to put it on record. You know, I didn't think that far ahead. How would so, you answer Jay's question, Pete? Okay. Um, I felt like this was going to be a big problem for Jay Egger because he was him and the other cops were watching these guys very quietly and going to take that trail up and try to catch you know Jacques Avril at the top of the chain as part of a bigger investigation and that was the intentions now they're going to take this this case away from him and this you know two cops were killed or uh, FBI <laughs> right were the cops the cops right detective they're because yeah. yeah. they wear the suit they look like they're FBI yeah. anyway um yeah this is a big deal everybody's going to be all over this now and it's going to make it even harder for Jay Edgar to work that chain to solve because um, Gary Wise's death now is going to become like just nothing. Mm-hmm. And because no one's going to pay attention to that, they're going to pay attention to who killed Barcos and Arias. Right. I so see. it's yeah. it's a double negative for him. And it just if I felt like even if he was halfway where he needed to be, he just got knocked down to the beginning all over again. But right. good thing it's episode right. one. <laughs> true story good point yeah okay did you answer your own question jay uh, I, I don't know did i <laughs> i mean i i don't i don't really know uh so i i guess i don't even really have a question i was more curious okay. as to what you just wanted us to answer, answer. yeah you. i feel like yeah give me some insight all right we're up to our segment persons of interest and these are not necessarily in the suspects just people that we just want to talk about from the episode kind of highlight who wants to go first? Uh, you won't like my choice, so I'm going to go last again. I'll go first. Easy. Right, go okay. um, right, go Stanley Kent. It, okay. He's in the first scene. He's taking the, the radioactive material. I'm all about watching him to see where this goes. Then you find out that he was killed, so now he's involved in a case where he's the victim. And, and everything that's happening in this whole episode, I feel like, and most likely further up the season chain, is a you know, our chain reaction to what he did in the first scene. So I have to go with him. Okay. Good points there. All right. Mine was going to be Beryl, but I think we kind of covered that uh, before, just how impressed I was and seeing uh, him from a different perspective and just how capable, you know, he is doing that, that little undercover thing for Bosch. So I think, you know, Unless you guys have anything else, I think there's enough said oh, there. We'll hear more from him in the debrief yeah. interview. So, right. all right, Jay. Uh, actually, I just changed mine at the last second. I just changed <laughs> mine at the last. Oh second. gosh, no! Now you can't do that. You have to tell us who it was. No, I can't. I can't. Here, what I will tell you about the one that I I was gonna choose. I am sure <laughs> that sometime in the next, mm, let's say, three to four podcasts. I will rant about this person. Just know it's coming. Okay. Okay. Uh, but no, I changed mine too. Um, this is kind of cheating probably, but I like to do that. I am going to, I'm going to choose the unborn baby boy, uh, baby Irving. And I'm going to Baby gonna, Irving. Okay. I'm going to choose that because I think, you know, any, anytime a child comes into your life, 
changes perspective. It changes the way you do things. And, you know, you brought up early on in the podcast about the son that he lost and now a new mm-hmm. son coming. How will this affect how he does his job, how he does things, thinks about things, interacts with people, especially when we have a huge crisis. He's running for mayor. He's got to He's got to worry about June. There's just so much going on now that this is a whole nother factor that's got to change things. So how is mm-hmm. baby Irving going to change things? That's my, okay. that's my person of interest. That's a very interesting person indeed. And, and I hope, I hope the chief names him Jay. Just throwing that out. <laughs> okay. That's officially on the ballot. <laughs> right, right. All right. Good deal. Good, good, good people to talk about there. All right. Let's set up our evidence locker. We don't have a ton yet. I mean, we know this stuff was, was stolen. It was missing. Stanley Kent had a note in there that he wrote. They have him on video that, you know, we know he stole it. We know he's the victim and we have uh, what's on Alicia's phone. We have a, you know, a ransom photo and, you know, correspondence about hurry up, you better get here. Um, And then the, just the little, tip about the 308s you know on the tattoo and trying to to dig into who they are and what they might be capable of and what their motive might be yeah um you know of course harry's looking at those field interview cards about daisy but yeah other than that i don't think we have much yet am i missing something uh i don't think so i don't think so okay it's just the beginning yeah it's early it's early with the lag Okay, we got some feedback on our tip line. That's where anyone can uh, write to us. It would be the email is bosch at so many shows.com. So definitely hit us up there um, and let us know what your thoughts are on different episodes and we can include it in our tip line section on the podcast. We heard from longtime listener, great gal at Sista Teacher on Twitter. She had some comments for us. Let's see what she had to say few thoughts about episode one. Okay, she does say, what were those orange rings on the finger? The wife said they show how much radiation, but didn't say how much, or didn't say how, so just changing colors. Harry said they look like they come out of a Cracker Jack box. Are those still around? Well, unfortunately, we are no experts on this. Uh, I did a little bit of Googling, and, you know, I saw some. Um, I didn't look at, at the date so much as if it's something actively being used. I kind of got that impression, but I had a hard time um, finding exactly how they worked and, and how quickly you get the information. But so I, if anyone knows more about that, please write into us so that we could share on the podcast. Um, Cause that's a great question. Um, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't really flesh that out for us at this point. She did comment, I love Mank, he's so cool, and I don't think he gets enough attention. You know I like his job. He is privy to a lot of stuff. Yeah, Mank is cool. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, every interaction he has, he just, he always seems calm and, you know, he's Mm -hmm. witty. Under control. Under control, yeah. He he doesn't get rattled very easily. Um, Yeah, he is privy to a lot of information. Okay, she mentions those crooked cops. Did they know they were being watched? They are now dead. And she says it was odd seeing Jerry without a three-piece suit. <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about that. He had on some casual clothes. Well, yeah. you know, sometimes the dude can dress down. It's okay. Yeah. And yeah, you okay. know, you know, do you know why he dressed down part of this episode? Do you know why? Uh, I know why. Cover? Or I mean, no. he was doing surveillance? No, no, no. You want to know why? Because sure, he, he saw the cool, smooth swagger of Beryl this episode and was ah, like, that is okay. enough for one episode. I'm going to yeah. let him steal the show. Well, now he needs a hat then because the hat does oh, add true. a lot. True. So, um, J. Edgar, Jamie Hector talked to costuming about a hat. Did the cops know they were being watched? I mean, they certainly seem like they did, especially Marcos looking around like that. Um, but I don't know who they thought was watching them. You know, did they did they assume it was, you know, their own people? Or could there have been some other group, you know, competing or someone the other had a beef with and maybe a deal gone wrong or something? I don't know. She says, honestly, I want Chief Irving to remain the chief and not become the mayor. I see him political with balancing forces within the police department. He presents more authoritative each new season. The way he found out about June being pregnant was a drop mic moment. I guess she had to tell it any opportunity. 
yeah, that, that, that surprised us too. That was, it was some good information, but it was surprising. As far as him running for mayor, I, I kind of agree with um, Sister Teacher yeah. on this. He's, he's really been doing some great things within the department. And like she says, balancing between, you know, the different powers that be in the communities. He's not super political, but he knows how to deal with the political. And he, I think he's fair. So yeah, it's kind of like, why well, go into something else right now? Now, June says he can do more by being mayor, but he's doing a good job now. What do you guys think? 50-50 on it because I think it would be fun to see him in that political I'm in charge of the entire city role. Yeah, I yeah. do love him as the chief, man. I just love the guy. <laughs> he, even when he's up to no good, I love the guy. So, man, I'm 50-50 on that one. Okay. Any thoughts from you, Pete? I think he has so much on his plate right now and he's not you know he's a polit he's he knows politics and he's fair and he's quote unquote i guess honest for the most part i mean we do know a little bit more about him from watching him for all these seasons he's not always hasn't always been so honest i guess or we don't know that for a fact but mm-hmm. um I don't know. I just don't think he has it in him to do the things and give the go ahead that you need to give in order to properly get elected when it comes to the back ends of politicians where I'm not saying that they, that they do bad things or illegal things. What I'm saying is like, like the guy said when he was talking to him, Hey, listen, you got to do this and this because this guy will take it and he's not even qualified for the job, but he can take it just from having these sectors narrowed down with the votes. So he needs a strategist. He's not a strategist, I feel, or at least he doesn't have the time and effort with so much on his plate to put into being a strategist. So he needs somebody that he can pay handsomely that, you know, won't be an issue, have a fair relationship and get the job done the right way, not the wrong way. Okay. Okay. Some good points. Well, uh, since you have the mic right now, I think it's time to move into trivia with Officer Pete. All right. So, so here's the thing. (laughs) By now, if you guys are on to me and the way I kind of pick my trivia out, you should have this no problem. However, I thought because it's the first episode of the season, you guys might not be so up on, I got to look for this for Pete. I look for that. So I, I decided to throw one that I thought was kind of harder at you guys for this episode. Okay. So when Jay Egger is taking out Marcos and Arias yeah. and Bosch calls his cell phone, how much percent on his cell phone battery does Jay Egger have? Oh, my. 27. No, but I thought you would have it, Jay. I really thought something you would have looked at. 81 from Tracy. You guys are just me in the middle. It's 52%. And <laughs> what was it? It's 52%. 52. Wow. Now, there's a story about the trivia practice. question. Well, there's a story about this trivia question, which is funny. I okay. had to pause it to go downstairs in my house to get something. In the middle of the episode, I came back and I looked and I saw it and I was looking to see if I could see his provider or something. I was looking for any information on the phone, and the only information I could see is a number of a battery. And I was like, this is so, so small that, you know, let's see if Jay and Tracy really sit down and, and dug for this one. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out of practice with the way your brain thinks on those, so you got me. You got me good. It was a harder one. I do, mm-hmm. I do agree. I, I, I would have never been able to answer that if you would have asked me that, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have another one, or you just chose between two? No, I just kind of just picked out the one. I thought that would be a okay. nice, you know, entryway. And as we get further okay. on with the episodes, I will have more trivia questions. And it's always nice to have one that we get wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, that about wraps up our coverage of Season 6, Episode 1 of Bosch. And uh, we have an interview coming up with Troy Evans, who plays Beryl. So stay tuned, and we'll be back next time. We are proud part of so many shows.com check us out bye guys yeah i'm excited because i got one of these oh isn't that the greatest thing it's the greatest thing amy gave me one when i came in the fall i was really excited and I've irritated Jay a little bit. I kind of use it to sort of needle him. Yes. You know, but. They're pretty, they're pretty precious, pretty hard to come by. They are. They are. Uh, yeah.
That's why my first question, Troy, is where the bleep is my lunchbox, man? What what is going on? How can you let Tracy get one? And I got, I'm like, where's my lunchbox? Well, there's a, there's a simple answer to that question. I'm a rat bastard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, fair enough. Fair there you enough. go. There fair you enough. go. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, uh, do you want to hear a little story connected to that remark? Yeah, sure. Oh, sure. sure. Uh, years ago, I was working on a movie in Las Vegas. I think it was uh, called Bodily Harm. And uh, uh, Linda Fiorentino was in it. And we were staying in the stands and we were shooting in the sands, uh, and which was a dump, you know. And we were, and we were eating at the sands buffet and it was just and so one night I went down I used to play a little poker I sat down at a poker table and played and you know they changed the dealers every 15 20 minutes and a new dealer came in and as soon as he sat down he was just openly rude to me and he kind of throw the cards at me and he'd make nasty remarks when I bet and he do I mean it was very very uncomfortable and but I got you know few minutes later, they changed him out, and I played another half hour or so, and got up to head back to my room, and he was standing over by a post smoking. He said, uh, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? I was like, uh, yeah, okay. He said, uh, one of the guys here said that you are an actor. I said, yes, I'm an actor. He said, oh, well, in that case, I want to apologize for what I was thinking about you. I said, what you were thinking about me? He said, yeah, I said, as soon as you sat down at the table, I said to myself, I know this guy from somewhere, and he's a rat bastard. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, and what I find particularly amusing about that is I'm pretty sure by rat bastard, he meant police officer. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh, I man. always think I am, yeah. you know. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Well, well. Speaking of that, the guy in the in the park thought you were a police officer. That kind of leads me into my first question for you, because I want to know how did Beryl get to be such a cool cat? He didn't skip a beat on that undercover routine with the Sovereign in the park. Uh, well, uh, it's not Beryl's first day. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> you know, I. I they were so good to Crate and Barrel. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh my God. I mean, they they just gave me a load of stuff and good stuff. And it's they had kind of a, a change of uh, of theory about us. And 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 they've always had us there. And it's a very good idea to have a, a little lighter element in the show mm -hmm. instead of just all body parts, you know. Mm -hmm. And but then they they uh, they came to think that it was important that they that the audience know that we're actually really cops, right? So so it, it was a, it was a very it was a very special season for us. Sure. Well, that kind of leads into my next question because you know I was you know going to celebrate with you how you know we talked last season about how they just seem to grow and grow your characters and now this season six is no exception. It's even more. So I was wondering if you ever have any input on those storylines as your, as your character has developed. Uh, no. Okay. No, uh, very, very, very little. Uh, just, you know, the, their writing staff is so good. And, you know, I, I've been on TV shows where I'd say maybe half of the show is ad-libbed. And okay. then I worked on, on ER for nine years. And on ER, you know, Noah Wiley didn't change a syllable uh, okay. unless, the, unless the writers approved it. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, if Noah Wiley had a line and he wasn't comfortable with the line, he could approach them and they would be reasonable about it. And if it, and if it made sense, they'd change the line. But the, the writing was premier. And it's pretty much the same on Bosch. Okay. I need to know how a kid from the middle of nowhere, Montana, how the heck does that kid get to enjoy a 40-year career in Hollywood? How's that happen? Oh, you know, it, 
uh, I'll give you a, a little thumbnail of it. There's a lot of, a lot of luck and it's even, it's, uh, I don't know if you know much about me at all, but I was a, I was a Vietnam veteran and I came back and unbeknownst to me, uh, uh, I was really pretty deranged when I came home and I can remember actually thinking that somehow in the two years that I was gone, that every other person in Montana turned into an asshole. And uh, I mean, you can actually get to that place where it didn't occur to me, hey, wait a minute, maybe it's not them, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I, I was uh, uh, nurturing a, a real strong friendship with, with uh, Jim Beam, and, and I was pretty violent, and I got in a lot of trouble in Montana, and I ended up in Montana State Prison. And oh, my, wow. my career goals had always been, yeah, it's, I actually, I got in a fight in a bar and I broke a guy's legs and it turned out he was an attorney. And mm -hmm. Who knew that was illegal? <laughs> but, well, so, so they sent me down to the license plate. Factory. And then I, I, when I'm in there, then I realized that, you know, I planned on being a lawyer and then uh, in the legislature and the governor of Montana and the senator from, Mon I mean, I had big plans. And I'm, I, I had been drunk, so, so drunk for so long, I, like two, three, four years that I was just drinking all the time if I was awake. You don't sober up from that over the weekend. Right. You know? right. So I was down in the prison for about six months and I'm sitting there one day and I went, oh, man, I bet I'm not going to be governor now. <laughs> so then I start thinking, well, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. Well, now I can't be a teacher. I can't go back in the military. I can't be a police officer. I, I can't, I can't be a lawyer. I can't, I don't a bar. I can't own a bar anymore. By the way, a bar is a bad business for an alcoholic. Just if you, just if you imagine. Yeah. Uh, and, and what, and I thought about that a few days and I went, I'll bet nobody ever asks an actor if he has a felony conviction. So I got out my parole plan. I went to the university, got an acting program, spent a year there down in Bozeman and at spring break, I went down to Berkeley, California to visit, uh, an old girlfriend who was going to school in Berkeley. And while I would, there were some summer theaters that I wanted to work at in Montana and there was an audition for a place called Pacific Conservatory Performing Arts, which is in Santa Maria, California, while I was there. And I had no intention of, of going down to this junior college in California <laughs> for the summer, but I thought I'd, I'd uh, try my pieces. And I went in, I did, I did my pieces, and this, <laughs> this guy, Donovan Marley, who ran that theater, he was one of the... Uh, maybe top three people in California in the theater, very influential in the theater. And I did my, did my two pieces and uh, uh, he said, Oh, well, that's, that's, that's interesting. He said, uh, what's your song? And I said, Oh, I don't sing. And uh, he said, well, it doesn't have to be a prepared song, just a little happy birthday or something. It's just so I can get an idea of your, uh, you know, of, of your pitch and your range. And I said, Maybe you didn't hear me, pal. <laughs> I said I don't sing. <laughs> and, and I looked over the, the accompanist, the guy I've also known a long time now, Bruce Seabee is at the piano, and he's looking over at me like I'm Hannibal Lecter. You know, where did this clown come from? So I went back to Montana, and he sent me a contract. And oh. I got to know one guy who was teaching in California, teaching theater, and I called him and said, you know anything about this Donovan Marley? And he said, if Donovan Marley uh, offered you a job, you better take it. So I came down $600 for the summer, drove down from Montana, did the summer in Santa Maria. And then I ended up staying there, becoming part of the staff. That, that, that was 1976. And mm -hmm. then, well, here's just the tip of the iceberg. That's where I met Eric Overmeyer, who now four oh, okay. years later I'm I'm starting my seventh season on Bosch from a connection I made directly in, in that theater. Also wow. met my wife Full there. Circle. 
I, oh, wow. That's, that's, that's where the connection for ER came from. That's uh, the first good job I had in television. I, I guest starred on, on L.A. Law, and, and that was because a TV writer uh, was on vacation and saw me perform in Santa Maria. So uh, the guy who told me I better go there was absolutely right. That was the, wow. that was the fertile soil that, uh-huh. that the last some almost, almost 50 years now is, you know. Wow. Yeah. Well done. And I just, just uh, about five weeks ago, uh, Heather and I just drove up uh, uh, to Paso Robles and with Donovan Marvel, Marley and Barbara Sellers, who was the company manager, and had dinner with them and had a, had a lovely time. He's still, he's, he's 80. Oh, wow. And he has many, many, many success stories like mine. People that, How about that? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. That is cool. Who knows? Yeah, it's uh, a very uh, warm place in my heart for that place. Completely sure. changed my life. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. It's a good yeah. story. It's a good story. All right. So as you know, we uh, we normally end our, our interviews with like a silly game and that kind of stuff. However, we've changed that this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this year now, we're asking everybody that comes on three questions that there are actual real answers to, okay? Okay. And we're going to see who gets the closest or the most correct of these three. Now, there's no spoilers to this, so you don't have to worry about anything. You don't really have to think that hard in it because the honest answer is you won't know the answers. I mean, maybe maybe you're a genius and you're not telling us and you do, but but we'll see. Oh, if I was the genius, I'd tell you. <laughs> Here's a tip-off. I'm not. <laughs> All right. Tracy, give them the first one. Okay. The first one, we're asking folks to guess, estimate, how many times in season six does someone mention Jerry's clothes? J. Edgar, how many times does a character mention Jerry's clothes? Ten episodes. I'm going to guess uh, basically one and a half times per episode. I'm going to say 16. Okay. Okay. I like like that, that theory. I like that. All right. Question number two. By by the way, you know, you know, you could put Jerry, you could put Jerry in a potato sack and he'd look great, man. It doesn't matter what, but but they do put great clothes on him, which is really Lily. Yeah. No kidding. Question number two. Irving is known for muttering, Bosh. How many times in season six do you think he will mutter, whisper, or angrily say, Bosh? 41. Oh, wow. That's Ooh. my kind of answer. I like it. I like it. <laughs> okay. And the last one, we want you to tell us how many times you think Coltrane will appear on screen in season six. Oh, uh, 21. 21. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, you know, I I, hope so. I'm glad he's back. I was worried Coltrane was going to take the drop. You, yeah. you know what the drop uh-huh. is, don't you? That's that's the thing that, that Beryl was supposed to take, the retirement. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right. Deferred mm-hmm. retirement option plan. That's yes. right. Yeah, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I was I was worried Coltrane was going to, but I guess <laughs> he's, too, he's too young. Yeah, well, we were worried about that for him, but I was really worried about that for Beryl, too. Mm-hmm. That, yes. that, he, oh. that it was going to be a real retirement. I was so I know. Yeah. You know, I'm so appreciative that they jumped through hoops to to write a plausible reason why this this old guy is still is still working. Uh, you know? it's, it's great. We were all relieved, for sure. Yeah. Now you just well, got to get us Great and Beryl spinoff, <laughs> man. Oh, you know, the when we finished the first scene that we did in, in season one, episode one, Titus Waller said, spin off. <laughs> yeah, already. Yeah. <laughs> they knew. And, they knew from the beginning. And I, I've been waiting, but uh, yeah. don't, don't hold your breath for it, you know. But awesome. it would, would be a sweet little treat, wouldn't it? I would. But it would. I, I, I thought if, if they were going to do a spin off, it would be kind of funny to have them become private detectives. Yeah. Then yeah. Just the two of those in some crappy little office. Yeah. And they're 
you know, <laughs> jawing at each other. It could be pretty good. I would, I would enjoy that. I would, I would definitely stream that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <not> yet. Hey, <laughs> hey, thanks so much for doing this podcast, and I. Oh, I, I thank hope you. You're having a good time. And and before oh. you take off, Troy, I think uh, Deji, Deji, did I say it right? Yes, yes, you did. All right, I said Deji. it right. He, hey, he's Deji. he's on the line. Say what, hi what, to him. How are What's you, man? Up, Troy? How you doing, buddy? I'm I'm hanging. I'm uh, <laughs> as we were just saying, it's it you know it's a different world, and you know it's exactly by the time this is over, the next four to six weeks is up. We will be living in a different world. Yeah, it's never going to go back. Yeah, well, it won't be the same. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's. I I, I'm, I'm just heartbroken about. You know, a lot of our our favorite restaurants and stuff that are that are closed now. A lot. You know, restaurants hang by a thread anyway. A lot of those we'll never we'll yeah. never see them again. Anyway, uh, be safe. Uh, be patient. You too. And and thanks for being fans. All right. Be good. Take care, Troy. Thanks, Troy. Yes. Thanks again. Take care, Thank Troy. you so much. Bye bye. bye.